we come for you. We, we, we've come for you, Jesus. Not for form or fashion, not to be seen, not to check off a box in our week. We've come for an encounter of the God kind. And someone here this morning, they need you, Jesus. We, they, they, they need you, Jesus. Pray, God, would you touch them right where they are. You know, Holy Spirit, you know the detail of every situation. So, Father, speak to your people something you want them to know, and we'll say yes. When it comes to the hard thing, God, we'll say yes. When our flesh doesn't want to do what you say, we'll still say yes. God, make us a people that are say whatever you want, God. Whatever you want, Jesus. Your way is better. Your will is better. Your plan is better. Life with you is better, Jesus. So, God, where we need to repent, I just pray, even in this moment, even in this moment, God, we'll just repent to you. Right now, take a moment with your God. If there's something you need to repent of right now, confess it to him. In this moment, confess it to him. our sins, that you are faithful and you are just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that your word declares that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Thank you that we have a faithful high priest that makes intercession for us. Thank you that your blood has purchased our place. Thank you that we stand in righteousness because of you. And so, Father, I pray, God, help us to live out that reality. We bless you and we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. How y'all doing? Good. Um, so happy to be here this morning and to share what I need to share this morning. I believe um, the enemy has been fighting. And when he's been fighting, he's fighting on purpose. He's come to, to hinder something. And I just trust and believe that what's said here, what's spoken here, what's sung here, what's declared here, what's prayed for here. I pray that this be a pivotal turning point in marriages that sit under the sound of my voice, whether here in this auditorium or watching me on Facebook Live. I pray that lives are changed. 
not because Rodney spoke, but by, because the Spirit of God is at work. Amen. We're in a series called This Is Us. Um, we've been talking about a bunch of stuff in this series. Um, and today we're going to do a part two of our marriage portion of this series. Um, and so I'm excited about this. Uh, I want to kick some resources to you. Um, we just got a lot of responses from last week, so I want to not just make audio stuff available to you and video stuff available. I want to give you something to read at home. Somebody shout read. Let's, it not, let's, let's let that not be a bad word at Gospel Fellowship. That's a good word. Amen. So uh, Crawford Loritz, Dr. Crawford Loritz, his new book out, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, an excellent, excellent resource to encourage you and propel you to think about marriage as legacy as leaving a legacy for the next generation. And then as we think about marriage in mission, uh, I wanna um, put before you the gospel comes with the house key by Rosario Butterfield, an excellent read in how we can open up our homes and lift lives missionally uh, for this sermon, how we do that as it relates to marriage, amen? I wanna go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter two, Verses 20, and let's read together. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the name to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave himself to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, or gave names, rather, to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's rib and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he'd taken out of man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of me. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Also, want to lay before you again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32 says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. I want to talk about a missional marriage this morning. Number one, cultivating my marriage. Number two, fidelity, friendship, and followers. And number three, to a family unseen. To a family unseen. One more time, cultivating my marriage. Number two, fidelity, friendship, and followers. And number three, to a family unseen. To a family unseen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your goodness. I pray, stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my mouth those things you want us to know, say, and do. We pray that the interests of your word would bring light, that you would illuminate our hearts, and I pray that we would hear uh, almost familiar things for the first time again, uh, because we are, we are like sheep who are dull of hearing. Teach us again, O oh God. 
that we may grow thereby. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this may be a hard message to hear for married folk here. This may be a hard message to hear if you're single, if you're engaged, if you're dating, you're thinking about marriage, if you're divorced, uh, you're, th you're thinking about marriage. This may be a hard message to hear, but I pray uh, that you would hold fast to all of God's word and not just the tasty stuff. Amen? Or the stuff that we like to to chew on and, and, and memorize. We memorize those things real easy. Um, but today we may hear some hard things that I think are truths that we need to hold fast to. Amen? I want to go back to the beginning, and the beginning starts with a man named Adam. Uh, God forms Adam, brings Adam into being. We believe God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh, and he brings Adam into being, and he makes Adam in his image and in his likeness. We know this. We talk about this. That means he has dignity and value. He has worth because he's made in God's image. Man, you mean something. Woman, you mean something, and you are valuable in the eyes of God. That's important. And God places him in this garden, the Garden of Edom, and he gives him a job, a job, a J-O-B, and his job is to till the ground, cultivate the ground, uh, to, so that the ground is fruitful, and his job is also to name the animals. And I have always breezed past that idea of naming the animals because I always thought, man, how hard could it be to name animals? But then I started thinking back, on naming this church and how hard it was to come up with the name Gospel Fellowship. It sounds like a simple name, but it took me months and months and months to come up with the name Gospel Fellowship. I remember my wife and I, we were driving, um, I want to say in Boynton, and we're just scurrying the neighborhood and driving, and I'm just so frustrated because I've been praying about it, thinking about it, praying about it, thinking about it, had nothing. And my wife says to me, um, What's, what's wrong? I said, I'm trying to come up with a name for the church. And she said, well, what is the church about? I was like, are you kidding me? The church is about, it's about the gospel. I almost said it in my Francis Chan voice. It's about the gospel, and it's just about, you know, Christ, what he's done. And she said, what else is it about? I'm like, it's about us doing it together, not being isolated, not being alone, together on mission, making disciples. It's about fellowship. She says, well, you got it. I got what? Gospel fellowship. That's how it happened. It's, it's, it's hard to name things because there's a weighty responsibility. Adam has this responsibility of naming all of the animals, and whatever he named them, that was their name. And he's doing this work, and he's doing good work, and all these animals, they have partners. They have companions. Adam has no companions. So God said, it's not good for you to be alone. Let me say this. Adam is not single. To be single means that I am without a companion, but there are possible options there for me. Adam is the only human being on earth. So in your prayer, you know, singles, listen, I mean, Adam was the only human on earth. And so God says, it's not good for him to be alone. I got to make a helper suitable for him. And he makes woman to be Adam's helper. 
Now this word helper is not bad in and of itself. We've talked about this previously before. This, this word helper is not some negative thing. Oh, the man is this crown jewel of creation and he needed a little bit of help so he made woman and now woman is just a little bit of help that he needs. No, man and woman are made in the image of God. They have dignity, value, and worth together. He takes her, he takes the rib from Adam symbolizing that Eve is supposed to be at Adam's side, side by side. If you got a good wedding photographer, one of the things he tells you is when you walk, keep your spouse right by your side. Don't be off over there and off over here because when you get your wedding pictures, you're going to be mad at how many pictures you have of just you. But he'll tell you, no, walk side by side. Are you with her? Stay with her. Walk side by side. The, 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 the husband and wife are supposed to be side by side, not the man out in front and the woman behind. We call that chauvinistic, right? Or not the woman out in front and the man behind. We'll call that um, feminism or something like that. I don't know. Um, but, but the point is they're supposed to be side by side because they're joint at the side together, loving and worshiping Jesus and pursuing mission, not apart, but together. So that word helper actually means, or that, that word helper is also a word that is used about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called our helper. So it can't be this weak word. It's, it's, it's a word that God used to describe the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, we see God talk about this relating to himself. Psalms 121, my personal favorite psalm, says this, I will lift up my eyes unto the, unto the hills, unto the mountains, where shall my help come? It's talking about the Lord. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Or even Hebrews 13, 6 says this, so that we confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? So we see clearly this word helper is not some weak um, person that stands in a man's shadow. She's actually a person that stands side by side and helps accomplish the mission of God. But here's a question on the table. To help do what? Well, to help work. To help work. So Eve comes alongside, and she doesn't sit passively by. She clocks in and helps accomplish mission. But as you know, in Genesis 3, sin comes in, and sin wrecks everything. Eve is tempted. She yields to the temptation. She gives to Adam, and Adam eats very passively. And sin comes into the world. I, I, I think it's so important that we, we remember um, all of the effects that sin has on this creation. Because when you understand sin's effect, it makes the cross more beautiful. But if you minimize sin to breaking ten little rules, then you miss how deep the redemption that Christ has worked for you and what he's accomplished. The Bible says when sin comes, look what happened. Adam has to work now by the sweat of his brow. In other words, that means before he was working, but he wasn't sweating, I guess. I don't know if it was a cool breeze. I don't know if it was a type of work. But he says, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow for food. 
In other words, there was this easier way for Adam to get food before the fall, after the fall. Now he has to work for every meal he gets, and he jumps on the working train. And some of us have not jumped off that train all these years later. He has to contend, the Bible says, with thorns and thistles. In other words, while he is working, pain will be associated with it because of sin. We also see because of sin, women will, will, will experience pain in childbirth. If you've ever been in a room with a woman having a baby, you understand to some degree the effects of sin. That is a painful ordeal. Amen. Somebody else said, well, I got the epidural. I didn't feel anything, Pastor. I'm sorry. But not just that. So we see sin here affecting even childbirth. But then it says for marriage, watch what this text says in verse 3. He says, you will want to please your husband. This is what sin does. But he will lord it over you or try to dominate you. That's what sin does. Sin causes tension in marriage. That's what I want you to see. The bickering back and forth, if you root it where it needs to be rooted, you root it at sin, not her personality. Not what he learned from his father. Could be some of those things, but the root is sin. And so if I call it sin, now I got a theological way to deal with all the imperfections of my spouse. If I call it her, then, or if I call it him, that means maybe they're broken and I need to find someone who's fixed. See, this, this, this is the kind of thinking that brings about divorce. But thank God for Jesus. Jesus comes in and he lives this life that we should have lived, this perfect life Jesus lived. And what he does is he, is he comes to triumph over sin. And we'll see this in three stages. The first stage is, is he takes care of the penalty of sin. What you and I must remember about sin is sin should have brought about our death and our eternal separation from God. But when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he pays for the penalty or the punishment or the consequence of my sin. I don't suffer what I should have suffered because Christ died on the cross. But he also comes to deal with the power of sin. This is why when you sing songs like, the power of sin is broken, Jesus has won it all or overcome it all. Jesus has broke the power that sin had over my life, the dominating, possessive, controlling power that sin has over my life. Jesus Christ has come and broken that power that's important for you to remember, which means you are no longer a slave of sin. You are a child of God. This is why it's important in our singing that our singing is soaked in the gospel because you learn things almost through uh, your subconscious. You're not even thinking about it, but you'll just be mopping the floor and thinking, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Why? Because the power of sin has been broken on the cross. I'm freed up to serve him and worship him and obey him. But the presence of sin is still here. He will deal with the presence of sin. We call that restoration, consummation. 
But the presence of sin is still here. So I can still be tempted by sin, pulled away by sin. I can be, it, it, it's, it's, its presence still lingers in my unredeemed flesh. It, it still show its ugly face when I'm not looking for it. It looks for me. The presence of sin is still here. The power has been broken, but it's still here. And if it's here, I got to contend with it, which means marriage is ultimately a great fight against sin. You're not just fighting him. We just keep on getting into it. I see, we can't have just one day of peace. What it is, beloved, you're not, if you, perspective means so much. When, 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 When you're in contention, if you can see, man, there's something else at work. When, when he said that to me, yeah, it came out of his mouth. The same mouth that said, I do at our wedding, said that to me. But, but a little bit of discernment will help us see there's something else at work in what he said. And if there's something else at work in what he said, here's what this lets us know. I have to not just contend with the person that said it. I got to contend with where it came from at its root. Which means a part of my challenge in prep or in marriage is not just to keep on, we need to talk this out, we need to talk this out, we need to talk this out, come on, let's talk it out, let's talk it out, and you need to do that. Yes, you need to do that, but some things you got to pray out. So a prayerless marriage is a marriage that's easy to derail not just for that day or that week or that month or that year, but here's what one thing I think we don't understand about the enemy. He doesn't just think about you and your life. He's thinking generationally. He's thinking about your great-grandkids. And if he can derail you, not for a whole year or a whole decade, if he can derail you for a day, He can can create patterns and habits that are hard to break. And you think you teach your kids what you say, but they're watching what you do. They, they, They don't mimic your language. They mimic your habits. So maybe, if this is true, there's some cultivation, not just of the field, but there's some cultivation of the heart that needs to happen. Your marriage, my marriage takes work. There's some cultivation. There's some dirtiness that needs to happen. You gotta get your hands dirty in this. I'm not an outdoors guy, um, but every so often I have to do outdoor things. So it gets to a point where, Sometimes when it gets too bad, I got to pull weeds. If my long guy misses it, I got to get out there and pull weeds. Sorry, I have a long guy. Sue me. Um, So maybe it's not pulling physical weeds out of the field, but it may be 
pulling weeds out of your spouse's heart, which means I'm going to have to dedicate some serious time and attention to communicate, not just at a mind level, but at a heart level. It may mean planting seeds, and it's not planting literal seeds of, of, of different fruits and vegetables. It could be planting seeds of sacrifice and patience by investing in your marriage with different resources like books or conferences or worshiping together, digging in scripture together. This is critically important. I love what Dr. Crawford Ritz says. He says this, because we love them talking about our spouse, we think before we respond. We ask ourselves, should I be offended at this? Is this something that I can let go? What difference, do y'all got my slides? What difference will this issue make in a month, a year, or even 10 years from now? This is by Dr. Crawford Loretz. Here's the reality, is that God is challenging us. He's challenging us to be mindful of how easily offended we become. Amen? Amen. So here's the question that we have to ask on the table. Our culture teaches us if we get married, we should be happy. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all, um, some of you would say, Rodney, I, I don't believe that. I know that is, that's not true. I know that it's not about my happiness. It's about um, God cultivating my holiness. I know that marriage is not about happiness. But when trouble comes, we don't respond that way. I think we really believe, we, we, we really believe, some of us, not all of us, that this marriage is about my happiness, that this marriage, this man, this woman should make me happy. Other cultures would teach that getting marriage is, getting married is about commitment or we're going to stay together for the kids. Some folks will say, yeah, we married. Look, I don't, I don't really like you no more. And... I know you don't like me, but we got kids, so we're going to stick it out. Some would argue, yeah, I don't, we're not in love anymore, but we got these bills, and I can't make it by myself, so we're going we gonna to stick together. Some would argue, I just, I mean, I'm married, but, and I don't really love this person. This person doesn't make me happy. I don't think they make me happy. But if I went through a divorce, what would that look like? What would people say? And if that is our motivating factor, that bar is set way too low. It is, it is no wonder we get caught in the things we get caught in because the bar that we have for marriage is set so low. In other words, for many of us, the win of our marriage is we make it to 30 or 40 or 50 years together. In other words, we, 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 we define our marriage by quantity of years and not quality of years. So if you see somebody married that long, you go up to them and you ask them that, that, that historic question, what's the secret? But if you keep asking that question, here's what you come to understand. Just because they made it to 30 years don't mean it was a quality 30 years. 
but we just want to make it to that number. The bar is too low. See, this is why I'm going back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32, because I think here Paul raises the bar of marriage to a level that we need to be thinking about. Here it is again. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What is he saying? In other words, your marriage in mind is not about how long can we stick together, can we make it together, for a long time? Can, can we work this out? No. Your marriage is a canvas for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's my question. Are you engaging in your marriage for what you can get as a consumer or are you engaging in your marriage to be a canvas or a platform for God to preach the gospel to people that see your marriage for his glory and your good? It's not just about us and what we get. In other words, we have to choose. Are we going to be consumers or are we going to be a canvas? In other words, it's not just about us standing together. I got to raise the bar to the place where I look at my marriage and I say, man, God, are you being glorified in my marriage? Not just that we are together, but are we thriving? And if not, where do I have to die? Show me. Where are you calling me to sacrifice, even if I felt like, but look how much I sacrifice already. Look how much I, I, I gave up already. Look how much I surrendered already. How you going to call me to surrender more? When you going to call them to surrender some? But I thought the scripture says forgetting those things that are behind. In, love, in, in, in other words, love keeps no record of wrong. Your sacrifice can't be your resume in which you build arguments against your spouse. We got to set the bar higher. The bar can't just be us staying together. It got to be us thriving together. And, uh, and the only way that happens is if you think sacrificially, how can I push my husband to all that God's called him to be? How can I push my wife to all that God's called her to be? And in thinking that way, you quickly come to the conclusion there's not much I can do in transforming their heart that sounds like a job for Jesus. So how can I labor in prayer to that end? So this week at 5 o'clock, one of these mornings this week, um, I think the Lord gave me three things that I want to park out with and then I'll be out of your way. Fidelity, friendship, and followers. First, fidelity. As we think about missional marriage and having a marriage that doesn't just satisfy us and, and, and we good and my kids good and us four no more, we blessed, we got it together, but having a marriage that lasts and has an impact on other people, the first thing is fidelity. Fidelity. And the first thing I want to say about fidelity, it's hard to be faithfully committed if you are not first faithfully committed to Christ. 
In other words, this, this thing happens vertically first and then horizontally to your spouse. You, you, you get your source for, for faithfulness and commitment vertically from your relationship with God. That's where fuel comes from, as we said last week, to love your spouse sacrificially. If you try to go horizontal first, it just doesn't work. You're not that strong. You're not that smart. You're not that savvy. You're not that consistent. You got to go to the one that is so you can get the strength to be those things that he's calling you to be. Which means you, you can almost uh, run parallels between your devotional life and the quality of your marriage. I could almost draw a parallel. Oh, my marriage is falling apart. How's your devotional life? sketchy. And this is not always the case. Sometimes there's one person praying and interceding and doing as much as they can, but it takes two to tango, right? And the other person's just wilding out. But, but even your perspective of the situation is different when you spend time with God. The, the story sounds different when you spend time with God. One story may sound like, well, I'm, you know, I did all I can, but ain't nothing else I can do. Look, he just, 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 he just. I mean, just, just this running story of what the other person has done. But when you've been spending time with God, the story sounds different. Hey, how's things going? I don't know, but I just got a feeling, man. God's, I know God's up to something. I don't, I don't know all the details, but I just know he's working behind the scenes and he's working things out. Man, I've been with Jesus this week and he's comforted me to know that he can trust me. I can trust him even when I don't see anything change. Even when things get hard, he's still present. Even when stuff happens with the kids, he's with me. I'm never, ever, ever alone. Those are two different folk. One has found this vertical thing to be the source, and the other one is trying to hold things together horizontally without being rooted and grounded first in a relationship with Christ. So we got to be faithful. Of course, this speaks to our sexual union, right? That, th that my spouse is going to be the only person that I run to for my sexual gratification, the only person. I'm not going to have these other relationships. I'm not going to have these inappropriate relationships, even if it's not sexual. Is it inappropriate? Yeah, but we just friends. But are you disclosing the issues of your heart to this person, even if it's not sexual? Do they have a place in your life that only your spouse should have? If so, kill it to be faithful. Don't let it rival your spouse. But I just don't understand like I'm saying. We just friends. We, we have elders at this church, and one of the requirements for elders is Titus 1, 6 through 9. It talks about the elder being above reproach. It does not mean sinless. It means that the elder should not put himself in compromising situations to ruin his reputation. And all an elder is is a mature believer. So the same things that apply for an elder should apply for us as believers. Don't put yourself in compromising situations where things can be said of you that should not be said of you. So if you have someone in your heart or in your mind or physically that is rivaling your, rivaling your spouse, cut it off. It is a cancer to your soul.
or if you spend your evenings fantasizing about someone else, you need to confess that. You need to forsake that because it's causing cancer to marriages. Before fidelity or, or infidelity, rather, ever happens, it is a slow progression. Look at the life of David and his adultery with Bathsheba. It didn't happen in the night. It had been happening for years. Number two, we got to cultivate trust and transparency by God's grace. Let your spouse be the person that gets the real you over and over and over again. In other words, I got to keep giving myself to being transparent with my spouse. I got to give my heart over to them time and time again, even if I felt like I told him that thing and he didn't handle that thing well. That, you know, I can't talk to you anymore. I'm not sharing things with you anymore. No. Fidelity means I'm going to give my heart to this person. I'm going to share my thoughts, my, my issues with this person. I'm going to share where I really am with this person time and time again. And when they mishandle it, I'm going to call them on the table. And they need to repent. And we need to move forward in walking towards transparency. The third thing I want to say about faithfulness and fidelity is declare it. Declare it. Declare your love for your wife or for your husband at work. Declare it. Let people know you got the best wife this side of heaven. Declare it. Watch this. Speak those things that be not as though they were. I see if I say get a house, you better, I declare and decree that house is mine. Declare your love for your spouse to your friends. Declare your love for your spouse to your friends that are single. You don't have to feel like, oh, well, if I tell them, it's, it's going to make them feel bad because they're not with anybody. No, what you're doing is you're reaffirming the idea in the sanctity of marriage as an institution in the heart of the people that are listening. Declare your love. Declare your affections. Amen? Don't hide it. Amen. Secondly, friendship. I love this song of Solomon. I think I have a slide there. It says this. Song of Solomon says this. His mouth is sweetness. You got to read that book. I can't get into it today. His mouth is sweetness. He is absolutely desirable. This is my love and this is my friend. I think in marriage, we, we think of husbands and wives in different categories than we do friends. There's not many books written as relates to marriage with the strong emphasis tied to friendship. But one of the things that, that, that helps marriage in rough times is when you consider the person you married a friend. Amen. Friends are hard to come by. I've said this before, and I still think it's true. If you got three, you're blessed. I ain't talking about associates. I don't know how many Facebook people I got that friends with me. <laughs> but 
I'm talking about real friends. I'm talking about if you were in trouble, friends. If you have three, you're blessed. If you're married, one of those friends should be your spouse. Which means not only do I need to cultivate a beautiful sexual union, a beautiful loving affection for one another, a beautiful parenting if you have children, I should be cultivating a beautiful friendship. But Rodney, I don't think that's my friend. We're married. Not my, not my friend. I got friends. They're not one of them. Well, isn't it so beautiful that friendship can be built? Friendships are not, oh, well, we just don't drive together. No, friendship spouses can be built. The Bible says, Proverbs 18, 24, a person that has friends must first show himself friendly. So it's not whining about, and I'm not saying whining or complaining or just stating the fact that I don't consider them a friend. It means I need to work not just at our, our, our financial life, in our, in our marriage life, in our sex life, in our communicational life. I need to work in our friendship as well. Amen. Um, Mark Driscoll, in his book, Real Marriage, gives uh, a couple pictures of what friendship could look like. And the first one is that back-to-back uh, -back friendships. And some marriages are here this morning. You are back-to-back you are -back in your friendships. What that simply means is y'all together, but y'all back-to-back. You're, you're, you haven't left the house, but your mind has left a long time ago. You're back-to-back -back in your friendship. You're almost adversarial in your friendship. And the beautiful thing is, if it's there today, it does not have to stay there, and you cannot give up hope. Amen? The next kind is shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. Shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder friendship. And this is what we see, uh, really, with a lot of guys that are friends. This shoulder-to-shoulder this -shoulder friendship, we usually huddle around projects or goals or activities. Um, guys would say, man, let's get together. Why? There has to be a reason we're getting together. Girls would call, let's get together. Let's just grab, let's just go hang out. Yeah, I just really want to share some things that's on my heart with you. Guys, we really don't have those kind of conversations. Some guys may. I think is in general, we don't really do that. But shoulder to shoulder says, I'm going to be friends as we attack an issue and, and, and activity. Let's just go chill and watch the game. Let's help me with some task around the house. Okay, face to face is different. Face to face is more intimate. This is sharing at the most intimate moments or pieces of who you are. This is what a lot of women that have sincere friends will experience. They'll experience this thing where you can just open up your heart and let go. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning. Women, if you want to engage and grow in your friendships with your husbands, try doing friendship shoulder to shoulder. Because you're speaking his language. If the Dolphins are playing today, you know, they're undefeated. Go sit next to your husband and just watch the game. Don't fight him. Don't, don't stand back to back when he's trying to watch the game. No, go sit right next to him and watch it with him. 
or do like what my wife does, ask crazy questions that irritate me. <laughs> oh, who 88 is? He, he should have went that way. He should have went that way. Yeah, he's, he's getting paid millions of dollars, but you know the right route for him to run. Just go sit shoulder to shoulder. You're joining him in an activity. If he's in the garage working on working on something, just go do it with him. Stop standing against him. If un unless there's something else you got to do. If he's going whatever activity he's doing, what can you do with him? If it's work that he's taking home, how can you come alongside him and help him? That blows a man's mind when his wife comes alongside and serves, not, well, I help you. No, serves out of joy. Man, if you want to cultivate a relationship or a friendship with your wife and be friends, you want your, your marriage to go to a different level, get face-to-face. That means I'm going to get face-to-face -face with you, and I'm going to give you my undivided attention. My cell phone will be down. I'll be looking you in your eyeballs. I'll be asking questions that prove I was listening. Not just, what do you mean? <laughs> this is a powerful thing when done well. Guys, hear me. We should be growing to the place where we're almost like our wives' trusted counselors. And because you live with her and you know her, you should be able to pull stuff out that she may not be able to see yet in a way that's not harsh and rugged but gentle and begin to coach and gospel her heart in a way that pulls those things out. So you got to be intentional about face-to-face -face time. You can't do face-to-face -face time while watching the Dolphins. It don't work. You got to gotta make time to do face-to-face -face time. Amen? So stretch yourselves. Amen. Lastly, followers. There's a story of Jacob in the Bible, and Jacob is wrestling with an angel, and he's wrestling with the angel all night long. And the Bible says the angel touches Jacob's hip and knocks it out of socket. Um, and Jacob is still fighting, he's holding on, and, and the angel says, let me go for the day breaketh, and, and Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, and so the angel blesses Jacob and changes Jacob's name, but Jacob leads that fight with a limp. He leads it with a limp, and as I started thinking about marriage, here's what I, I, I thought to myself. Marriage, a lot of times, is not this perfect thing, this cute thing, or this thing where you have it all together. You just have this perfect marriage. A lot of marriages are bumps and grinds, ups and downs, hard challenges, joyful seasons. It's more like this than this straight line of coasting. And so when I'm, when I'm married, I'm married, but I'm married with a limp. I'm married with a limp. I had a pastor friend of mine. I saw him, and he was walking real slow. And I said, bro, why are you walking so slow? And, and as I got closer, I saw he had a little limp. He had an injury, and he's walking with a limp. And when you walk with a limp, you, you, you have to slow down when you walk. Some of your marriages, you're, you're in challenging, tight spots. You're, you're in a hard place right now in your marriage. You're trying to figure things out and see where things are going to land. 
and you have this, this pain or this injury or something that has happened in your marriage or just your sin nature overall that continually presents itself in your marriage. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. If that's you, you can't walk the same pace you used to walk. You, 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 you can't. You got to slow down and recognize because this marriage is challenged, I may have to slow things down so I don't fall on my face. I may have to slow my life down so I can tend to my marriage because I'm in a tight spot. I may have to come home early from work every day and just sow into my marriage and sow into my marriage and sow into my marriage because I'm in a tight spot. I may have to get somebody to watch and handle my kids for a season so I can just have some consistent days or I need to plan a getaway so I can just get away because my marriage is in a tight spot and I'm not going to get results doing the same thing over that I did before and before and before. I got to slow down. One of the things that I think God's calling us to this morning in our marriages is he's calling us to slowing, slowing down for loving union with our spouses and with Jesus. Crawford Rich in his books talks about the necessity of praying together every day. He talks about the necessity of getting in scripture regularly with your spouse. He talks about the, the importance of singing together with your spouse. Beloved, if you're in a tight spot, don't keep fast tracking your way through life. Slow down for loving union with your spouse. They are the second most important person or second most important pursuit in your life next to Christ. So slow down for loving union. And then live your life bold in front of the folks that's following you. Listen, everybody got followers. Everybody got followers. We're obsessed with this on social media. How many followers do I have? How many friends do I have on Facebook? There's somebody watching your life now. I don't know who they are. I don't, you may not know who they are, but they're watching, they're following you. And so as I said before, make your marriage, the good and the bad, a testimony of God's faithfulness. When my wife and I sit down for premarital counseling, sometimes we'll tell them as they're working through issues, we'll say, okay, this is an issue we had this week. And this is how we're working through it, or this is how we work through it. We try not to paint this picture that me and Kaisa have it all together. No. No. This is ups, downs, hills, valleys, good times, rough times. But God gives us grace to thrive in challenging situations. So be open with the people that are following you. Invite them into your home and let them see your real home, not your perfect home. Let them, <laughs> I, was, I was at a little gathering yesterday and I called RJ. I was like, RJ, come here. And this boy kept walking away. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to do something. And, and I caught myself because the first thing that came through my mind is, how is this going to look in front of these people that's at this party? Which means in that moment, I'm more concerned with perception than with developing character. I'm trying to figure out why I said that. I have no, no idea where I am or why I said that. Oh, modeling. I don't know where I was. That maybe, who knows? So 
Tell your testimony. Share it. Women, model this to other women. That, that it is godly and honorable to, to love and respect your husband. Don't mock your husband in front of other women. Don't talk about how, well, you know, I really run the show anyway. No. 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 What, what is that modeling? The scriptures are clear. Show that you can submit to godly leadership. Men, show that what marriage really is, it's about sacrifice and laying down your life for your spouse. Show that leadership is not domination and control, and you got to have your hands on everything in the marriage and control it. No, it's about loving service. Really, Ephesians 5.21 would tell us that we need to submit to one another. So you use your marriage as a platform for gospel proclamation. Amen. And then lastly, to a family unseen. Everyone's standing. I'm, I'm really, really done. I'll prove that I'm done by letting you stand. See, if a preacher say, I'm about to close, y'all, and y'all still sitting, he's not serious. But I'm, but I'm pretty serious. And I'll say this. This week, this message has been just challenging me and just really wrecking me and and just calling me to confession and repentance. And I was thinking about uh, my great, 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 great grandson. And I thought I had a great conversation with my uncle this week. On Tuesday, just took some time and went to see my uncle. My family is from Barbados, and so I don't have a family close by. We're like first generations. And so when I talk about my grandfather, I'm talking about a man that I may have seen once, but I, I, I know bits and pieces of his life. So I'm sitting down with my uncle, and he's telling me about my grandfather. He's telling me about um, how, how he loved his wife. He's telling me about how he preached the gospel. He had dementia in his 90s, and he would be sitting in the living room quoting scriptures. Everything else had gone. He didn't know who his kids was. He didn't know who his family was. Everything else was gone, but he'll sit in the living room and just quote scripture, 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 Psalms, and Proverbs. And I started thinking, man, there's a whole lineage of preachers. I didn't know he was a preacher. I know he was a Christian. I didn't know he was an evangelist and a preacher, which means Rodney's third-generation preacher, and, and there's still more that I need to learn. So I started thinking about my great-great-great-grandson and what can I do now to lay down my life in a way that he gets to grow up in a godly environment and continue to propagate this gospel. It's not just about your happiness in marriage. There's stuff down the line that you need to contend for. You're working for couples you haven't seen yet. And this, this is just in my biological line. What about the expanse of ministry and the people we sow into and the people we influence, the joy of ministry as you get to see development and growth and leaders emerge and they begin to impact more people and then they begin to impact more people. For GF, what are we going to do with 50 years down the road? What would be said of us? Here's what I want. I want to be, I want it to be said, them folk, they weren't perfect. They didn't have it all together. They had to fight. But man, marriage meant something in those days. As they're looking back, they'll say, man, in those days, marriage was powerful. 
They stuck, they worked, they fought, they clawed, they had joy, they had ups and downs, but the God that promised was faithful and fruit came out of it. I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you are in your marriage, if you're single here, man, what content you have to think about as relates to who you link up with. That's a crucially important decision. And so I just want to pray for you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we entrust ourselves to you. We entrust our hearts for your keeping. We entrust our mind for your renewing. Father, I pray for every husband that's here today under the sound of my voice. And God, I know if they've been following you, sometimes they may say, well, when does it get easier? When does it let up? But God, I, I, I pray that you would give grace, that you would give strength. I pray for the new marriages in here, and as they're figuring out how to move and when to move, I pray that you will grant them great grace and great joy and great excitement in marriage. I pray, God, even as the weight of manhood and working and provision and protection lay heavy on the shoulders of the men in this room, would they run to the cross? She said in your word, to cast our cares on you, for you care for us. God, minister to men in this room that they are not alone. They're not alone. They're not fighting this alone, but you are with them. You're with them. You're with them. You haven't given up on him. You haven't thrown in the towel on him. You are with him. You see what he's doing. You see where he's challenging. You are with him, and you are not giving up on him, Father. Father, I just lift up every wife in this place, Father. I lift up every wife in this place, and I pray even in the culture in which they live, they are in no wise instructed to honor this husband that they're married to apart from the local church. In a day where everything says to exert, exert yourself over your husband, you are calling them to do something different. So I pray. God's submission is something only you can do in the heart of women. So I pray that submission would not be this curse word or this bad word or this evil thing, but it would be something in which they see beauty in and they see honor in because they're not submitting solely to some man. They are submitting to Christ. So I pray for grace for them. I pray that you will lovingly walk with them. I pray that when they don't see things move the way they want to see it move, that you would give them hope and an expectation, that you would comfort their hearts, that they would run to you for grace and strength. God, you said one of the desires for you and your people is you call us friends. You call us friends. Father, I pray that you would be friends to wives in this place. I pray that you would give them safe places to unload what's going on in their heart, that you would give them confidence to find people that they can talk to as the pressure of life hits them. I pray for healthy sexual unions between husband and wife. Pray that we do not de deny our spouses of that, Father. 
I pray for communication where barriers seem like they have stood up and blocked communication when it seems like it's, like it's at a dead halt, Lord God. Communication has come like backed up traffic on I-95 where there's no movement. I pray for the movement of the Holy Spirit to cause your, your couples to talk again, to trust again, to love again. So, Father, we thank you for what you've said and what you've done. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would do this in the lives of couples for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The last thing I'll say, I think this is important. If you're in trouble in your marriage, don't wait to get help. If you're having just the same challenge over and over and over again, don't wait to get help. Here's what I know here at Gospel Fellowship. Uh, we, we, we are a young church. I'm a young pastor. I think God's given me some, 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 some gift of working with couples. I believe that. But I also believe that there's a place for professional counseling. I believe there's a place for people God has given gifts to men and women and has given the resources and education to provide good gospel Christian counselors for your marriage if you need that. So if you need that, feel free to contact uh, Mark. He's not here. He's probably somewhere in the back. Uh, Mark, we, we have a bunch of counselors in this church and actually coming up very soon at Gospel Fellowship, we're going to just have a day where we talk about mental health counseling. I'll just suspend preaching and I'm going to bring all my counselors up here. We're just going to start working through that stuff that's coming up really soon. But if you're having challenges in your marriages, please, sir, please, ma'am, don't wait. Get the help you need. Our church will be happy to help any way we can. And we'll also be happy to refer you to uh, good Christian counselors. Amen. God bless you guys. is so yeah make some noise and I might be doing this in vain get no cool points because I don't see her so but anyway I'm still gonna do it and listen if you know my wife she does not like the heat uh, as if the heat stole money from her uh, but yet she still yesterday when I was slaving in the sun washing both cars she came out and helped me one of the cars going shoulder to shoulder as Pastor Rodney mentioned so I appreciate that and just want to profess how great I think she is and though I slack and don't tell her that enough so so there we go. So if, you, if she's not here, please tell her that I said that. Uh, pass along. Uh, good morning. My name is Pernell. I have the pleasure of bringing you the announcements this morning. just want to welcome everyone uh, to Gospel Fellowship. You could have been anywhere, but you came to worship here with us. Um, we want to extend a special welcome to our first and second time guests. If you are, this is your first or second time visiting with us, uh, we welcome you. We thank you. Uh, you should have received a connection card on the way in.